no, no, no. I have to, I have to like point the blame to someone else for my being late. So, um, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome again to our study of the book of Jeremiah. Uh, let me open our time together this morning with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do uh, come this morning um, and acknowledge that there is none like you, O Lord. That you are great, and your name is great in power and might. And Lord, we uh, come uh, before you this morning knowing that you are the living God, the everlasting King who made the earth and the heavens by your power and established the world by your wisdom. Lord, uh, help us uh, this morning uh, to turn to you and turn to your word, that we wouldn't be a stubborn, uh, foolish people um, who uh, learn the ways of the world and turn away from you uh, to worship uh, things that are not God, but we put them in the place of you. Lord God, just as we see um, the nation of Israel uh, turning to idols, uh, we too confess that our hearts our idol factories, um, putting things uh, in the place of you, uh, created things uh, that have uh, no real power and the one who has all power and might. Lord, so forgive us, but also uh, uh, give us those hearts to receive the words of your instruction through your prophet Jeremiah. We thank you for um, your love for your people that caused you to send um, your spokesman to bring your truth uh, to them and through them to us. Lord, may your Holy Spirit uh, teach and instruct us this morning. Uh, show us yourself. Um, show us your, uh, your character, um, your grace, your power, your might, your justice. Um, and show us ourselves, our sin, and most of all, our need for our Savior, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, if you'll turn with me in uh, your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 10. And as you're finding your way to Jeremiah chapter 10, I'll uh, uh, recap some of what we talked about last week, looking at chapter 9, uh, and set the stage for chapter 10. So if you recall, if you were here last week, or if you weren't, uh, chapter 9 began with Jeremiah grievously lamenting the sad state of his people. Um, their wounds wound him, yet simultaneously he knows the depth of their sinfulness that has rightly brought all this evil upon them. Jeremiah expressed sorrow over the deceitfulness of his people who lied to both God and to each other. Um, we talked about how they actively taught their tongues to speak evil toward their neighbor while actively suppressing the knowledge of God. Jeremiah also laments the brutality and terror of the coming destruction that will devastate Judah, weeping over the, um, particularly uh, the effects on the physical landscape. He called for professional mourners to come and teach the people to wail because there would not be enough mourners for the dead of Judah whose bones lay unburied and scattered across the landscape. Yet, uh, we spent uh, the latter part of our class last week uh, looking at the, this fact, this comforting fact, that even in the midst of the people's sad state of affairs, uh, there's hope. 
hope not in themselves or in their own abilities or in their own possessions, but hope rooted in knowing the God who alone, quote, practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Judah's, Judah's only hope in the midst of the coming destruction was to turn their hearts to God and to trust and knowledge of who he is. Um, we saw that all the things that we boast of, wisdom, strength, riches, are no match for the glory that comes only from knowing God. True religion consists in acknowledging the complete sovereignty of God in life and allowing him to fill life with those qualities of steadfast faithfulness, justice, and righteousness which he alone possesses, in which he delights, in which he desires to um, instill in his people. The basis of all our hope and purpose in living is having a proper perspective on who God is and what he has done, and as our catechism states, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So, as we turn to chapter 10, today we'll see in the latter part of chapter 10, Jeremiah will continue um, the strain of lament over the coming desolation of Judah, but first he presents a satirical portrait of idols and the people who worship idols. Um, theologically, these verses are of great significance, for they set Yahweh apart from every other object of worship. Uh, there's none like him. He's the true and living God, the creator of the heavens and earth, the controller of the clouds and the rain, the one who alone is worthy of reverence of all men, and most of all, the God who claims Israel as his own. As Lord of the covenant, Yahweh demanded total unswerving loyalty from his subjects. Any attempt to share allegiance, to, uh, allegiance owed to him with another merited judgment, for it amounted to a rejection of the covenant. In that case, the curses of the covenant become operative, and thus, once again, Jeremiah establishes the justice of the coming judgment that he describes in the second half of chapter 10. So with that as a word of introduction, let me read for us Jeremiah verse 10. Um, hear now the word of God. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed by, at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold, they fasten it with hammers and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. That line always gets me, sorry. <laughs> um, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. They are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz. They are the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. They are the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God, 
He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there's a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Gather up your bundle from the ground, O you who dwell under the siege. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I am slinging out the inhabitants of the land at this time, and I will bring distress on them, and that they may feel it. Woe is me because of my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly, this is an affliction, and I must bear it. My tent is destroyed, and all my cords are broken. My children have gone from me, and they are not. There is no one to spread my tent again and to set up my curtains. For the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore they have not prospered and all their flock is scattered. A voice, a rumor, behold it comes. A great commotion out of the north country. To make the cities of Judah a desolation, a lair of jackals. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Pour out your wrath on the nations that know you not, and on the peoples that call not on your name. For they have devoured Jacob, they have devoured him and consumed him, and have laid waste his habitation. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. So verses 1 through 16 um, pretty clearly uh, emphasize that idols are useless and it is stupid for God's people to trust in them. But why? So what does Jeremiah tell us is so wrong with the idol worship? Um, that the people are being uh, taught the way of the nations, learn not the way of the nations. That's the, the idea there's literally disciple. They're being discipled by the nations in idolatry. And so what, what are some of the things that Jeremiah says um, is, is wrong with that? Yeah, Dave. Yeah, so they're, they're artifacts, so, and notice the, the thingness <laughs> of, of them that's emphasized throughout this, that they are objects, um, 
things that are, are made. And as Dave said, um, things worked with human skill and creativity. Um, notice the emphasis on all the refinement of these. You know, twice we're told they're decorated with silver and gold. Um, we're told that they're, they're clothed in violet and purple. Um, and, and the emphasis, as Dave um, said, you know, they are the work of skilled men. They are the work of craftsmen, um, the goldsmith. Uh, so all these workers have wrought these things, but they are things. Uh, no matter how much you deck them out uh, and, and dress them up, they, they, they will never be something other than things fashioned by human hands. Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, and as we see how, um, you know, some people like talk about verses 1 through 16 as they're like kind of artificially stuck into the flow of Jeremiah and that they don't fit. But, but notice how, and, and Teresa, you're pointing this out, the, the, the linguistic connections that are being made. Like we're told multiple times in verses 1 through 16 in terms of idol worship um, stu how stupid it is, or some of your translations might have brutish. Like, and then when he gets to the second half and this coming desolation, it's because of their leaders are stupid, <laughs> brutish. Like, and it's connecting the two things. And, and what have they been stupid and brutish in? I think you're absolutely right. They're the ones who've been, who've sucked in the way of the nations. They've imbibed it and they've taught it to the people, and the people have taught it to their children, as we saw last week, this active instruction in idolatry and a purposeful forgetting of God, as we saw, saw last week. Um, but here, you know, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I, I normally don't like to call people stupid, <laughs> but the Bible's doing it, so I have to. <laughs> you know, and, it, and he's doing it repeatedly. Like, it, it is so... When you stop to think about it, it is so stupid. Um, but that's what they're doing over and over and over again. Uh, Ronnie, you had your hand. And as you say, like it's, they're inverting the, the, the way that the pathway is intended. The pathway is they are to be a light to the nations. God has given them, as you said, he's given them the law, but he's not given it to them to be their selfish possession. It's ours and nobody else gets it. Like Deuteronomy clearly says, this is for you and through you the nations will come to me. 
Like, they're supposed to be the light to the Gentiles, the, the ones who are bringing the Gentiles to the knowledge of the true God. They're the ones who are supposed to be discipling the nations. And what's happening instead is they're being discipled by the nations around them into evil doing. So it's, it's taken the order that God has established to bring his knowledge of him throughout the earth, and they've inverted it um, and, and made it, rather than going out, <laughs> they're, they're, they're being, you know, taking the message of the nations in. Rather teaching the nations what true religion consists of, they're adopting the religious ways of the nations, of the peoples around them. Yeah, Nick. Yeah, and in other places, you know, you'll be like them. And he, he, he uses that idea. You've made them, and, and you become like them. <laughs> that idea there, like, and, and we've seen Jeremiah uses that idea. You are what you worship, like, or you become what you worship. And if you're worshiping a thing, as you say, that is hardened stone or a hardened tree that's shaped with an ax, and the, the scarecrow and the cucumber patch, like, uh, I, like, how did I miss that verse all my life? <laughs> like, uh, like that, I just, that's my favorite verse. And it shows how God, like, I, I have a friend who, um, uh, down in Mississippi, um, he, he's taken into, like, texting me on Sunday mornings because he knows I'm teaching this class. So, like, he just, hey, prayed for you this morning. So, and then I'll, like, text back, like, you know, a verse or something that, so I, I did that one. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I love God's humor. <laughs> when, when, when God like just laughs at our stupidity. Um, and he was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, Chris.
Yeah, and it, this emphasis on, as you say, this emphasis on you know, what makes them great, like, you know, as a nation. It, it, and God says, was it because you were numerous? Nope. Because <laughs> you were powerful? Nope. <laughs> uh, you know, were, was it because you're, you know, a wise people? Nope. <laughs> it's because I have set my love upon you. That's what makes you great. That I'm the God who is in your midst. And that's what makes you a great nation. And, and puts you in a point that all the nations will see what nation is like this. What, they'll see what a great nation you are because they'll see the God in your midst that has made you great. Um, not inherent greatness in yourself, but the God who has set his love upon you. And that is, that is the thing. And, and that's what they're giving up to, to go after all these things that aren't God. You know, all the things they're putting in the place of that great God in their midst. And notice how Jeremiah is emphasizing that over and over again. And I love that how he goes back and forth between describing the idol and describing God. Um, and, and how they're, like he twists or, or flips the language. Um, and like, so for example, um, their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. You know I was going there. And they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them. And then he, he changes in verse 6. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? So they're creating these things. And, and false worship is, is often fear-driven. Like, think of that, like, you know, like the fear I'm not doing enough to earn God's pleasure or fear if I don't, you know, do this, my ancestors will be angry with me and bring, you know, evil or misfortune upon me. If I don't appease this God, um, you know, bad things will happen to me. And he's saying, this thing you made, it can't do anything. <laughs> it can't do you harm. It can't do you evil. Um, you know, there's no need to fear it, but who should you fear? You know, who, who is the one who the nations should fear? So the nations, again, have taught Israel to fear what Baals can do, to feel, fear what Astras can do, to, to fear what Molech can do. Um, and instead, like, there is a God who everyone should be afraid of. <laughs> a God of justice and truth and righteousness. And, and this God's wrath is going to be poured forth. And, you know, at his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. That's what they should be afraid of. Um, or, or later on, you know, he, he, he contrasts, um, you know, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. I, I love that. Like, they didn't make the heavens and the earth, and they're going to disappear. <laughs> um, they're going to cease to exist. In, in contrast, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. And, and earlier, but the Lord God is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. 
So these are things fashioned by human hands. Um, you know, they are part of the creation and they can disappear from creation. He is the creator and he's the one who's going to hold all his creation under his, his judgment. Um, yeah, Scott. They, they have to be carried. They, they can't walk. Uh, <laughs> they cannot speak. Yeah, they can't breathe. Like, it, it's a thing. Um, now, this is uh, the point where, like, we, we have to, like, stop saying, well, look how stupid they are, and, and start going, uh-oh. <laughs> how stupid are we? Um, you know, you know, how stupid are we? And we constantly do it. We constantly put, we, we, like we might not have like an idol um, over in the corner. Um, there's a great book. Maybe some of you have kids, have seen this? David McCauley does those great books like buildings and architecture. But he has this one called Motel of the Mysteries. This is, it's a hysterical book. Um, it, you know, it's meant for kids, but I, I use it in class <laughs> uh, when I teach material culture and history. So the premise of the book is that um, a, a motel is, is suddenly buried. Um, and then, you know, thousands of years later, they come to dig it up. And so they're going down the hall. Now, like, and I, I use it as an example, like, Archaeologists make assumptions, and based on those assumptions, their interpretations of what they find. So he's assuming it's a purposeful burial. So he's going into this motel room like it's an Egyptian tomb. And so everything in the room is like laid out for a purpose. So the ice bucket is a canopic jar. Uh, <laughs> like the shoes placed by the bed have a purpose. The bathtub, because they find a corpse in the bathtub. The bathtub is a sarcophagus, which bathtubs do look like sarcophagi. <laughs> um, but my favorite one is, what do you think the deity in the motel room is? Television. Everything in the room is focused toward the television. Like that is, and, and we laugh, but that, like how true is that? Like, like you know, and, and now it's even more than television. I can't remember when Macaulay wrote this. Um, but it was old enough, like, the, it still had, like, the old-fashioned remote clicker, and it was a, obviously a tube television. Um, but, you know, technology, like, how much trust, how much time, how much energy, how much devotion we put into devices, into things. Things crafted by human hands, they're shiny. <laughs> we can get them in all kinds of colors, and, um, but, like, you know, it's technology, or, or maybe it's just cons consumption. Like, we consume things to make us feel better, and we, we look for longing and satisfaction in the created things rather than in the creator. And then we, like, the irony is, like, like, like think about things like, like you save up to purchase, oh, this is going to be great when I get this. And then you get it, and you're like, eh. <laughs> or, you know, you enjoy it, and then, like, you know, the novelty wears off, and then you're like, oh, that thing. 
Um, and it's just like we keep putting our time, energy, efforts, and things that do not satisfy. Um, and when we do that, we're stupid. <laughs> you know, we're like, again, we, we might like pat ourselves on the shoulder that like we don't have a bail in the corner of our house, but like we have all kinds of things that we put in the place of God, all kinds of creative things, you know, things fashioned with human hands that, um, you know, take us and take us away from God in which we put in the place of, of God. We, we attribute to them power and satisfaction that only God can bring. Yeah, and I love the self-referential, and forgive me, I, I've used this illustration in a couple of places lately, and if, I can't remember if I used it here or not. I should go back and listen to my own tapes. Um, but uh, that there's, um, so you know, I, I study ship's log books, um, and I, yeah, I, I have a real problem. Um, but uh, there, there was this one I came across this summer where they have an enormous outbreak of scurvy. Um, they, for whatever reason, like normally when people go around the Cape of uh, Cape Horn, um, they stop in Chile or Peru and get fresh provisions. For whatever reason, these guys didn't. Um, they get to the coast of California, they're in trouble. Now they think scurvy is caused, you know, this shipload. At, at this point, like scientists already know here at this moment in time that it's, they don't know about vitamin C, but they know if you give people fruit and vegetables, they won't get scurvy and you'll cure scurvy. They think it's an absence from dry land. So when they get to California, what do you think they do? They take all the sick people and bury them up to the neck in dirt because that's like they're deprived of land. Uh, and they're also feeding them fresh fruit and vegetables. <laughs> but like they come out of it like, see it worked, they all got better. <laughs> and it's that kind of idea, like to, to your point, Dave, like it's like they attribute results to the wrong causes. <laughs> uh, and they just, you know, keep in the, their, their feedback loop of, of ignorance. Um, and that's what, you know, like we participate in these feedback loops where we're confirmed in, in our stupidity. And the world is perfectly willing to confirm us and it's that its stupidity is is right and that's what we should be doing i think i saw a hand over here yeah jonathan see i told you <laughs>
So, uh, so one thing, like earlier we saw, he's, he condemns their idolatry um, for the adulterous practices that are inherent in it. So it's not only you have an idol, but also often it involves, um, you know, fertility gods often, uh, or fertility rites often involve sexual acts. Um, so, yeah, so idolatry as adultery isn't just a theme in Deuteronomy, it's a theme in Jeremiah as well. Um, and to your point about, like, the, the idea of, you know, what they're supposed to be and what their relationship to God is supposed to be, um, uh, later on in Jeremiah, and this is in chapter 31, when he's going to talk about, like, this old covenant or, or the covenant um, that they have broken, and he's going to bring judgment upon them for violating this covenant. He, he also says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So, you know, so as we think of this, um, and, you know, the, all the evil that is involved, like, again, we can say, like, I don't worship, what's the big deal? Like, no, it is a big deal. <laughs> um, because it is a, you know, as you say, it's a giving their devotions and affections, their, their intimacy to, to things that aren't, are, are not God. Um, that, uh, you know, things that, that have no life within them. Um, and, and again, that's, we, we do the same thing. Um, we, we take things, you know, created things, and we put them in a position um, of, you know, of trust, of dependence, like, you know, like, as we saw last week, like, how often do, well, when we face a situation, we trust in our wisdom, or we trust in our strength, or someone else's strength, in my case. <laughs> um, you know, we, 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 we boast about things that are not worth boasting about, uh, compared to the surpassing greatness of our God. And that's like the point over and over again is this. Um, he's not, it, it's, it's simultaneously an expose of what an idol uh, is and is not, but it's also a bold declaration of what their God is, like, and what he has done, who he is, you know, his characteristics. So it's, he's bouncing back and forth between the worthlessness of these idols and the supreme worthiness of our God. It's all lots of hands. <laughs> yeah, great.
No, no. Yeah, and I, I think a great example of that, like our, our quest for tangibility and control is in the Exodus story. Like, you know, when Moses disappears for a while and they're like, ah, we don't know where this Moses guy's gone. Like, we need a God. It's like they make that golden calf. And they actually call it Yahweh. Like, so, they, like, you know, it's kind of date, debates seminary students have. Is it a violation of the second commandment or the third commandment? <laughs> um, are they worshiping the true God with, uh, you know, through an image or are they worshiping a false God? Um, so it's, but it's that idea of, um, you know, control, as you say, and like tangibility, like we, we, we want to replace the God we can't see with things that we can manipulate. And I, I don't think, like, you know, think the root of the word manipulate, like, you know, handle. <laughs> um, and idols are, are in both senses, like, we can manipulate them and notice how, like, you put them in your, your cucumber garden to scare away things. Um, I actually got, like, I had a whole, like, tangent this week on the history of scarecrows, which I won't go into. Uh, <laughs> um, um, uh, my favorite is the Greeks use the um, uh, fertility god uh, Priapus. Uh, as uh, um, as a scarecrow, <laughs> he, Zeus supposedly made him ugly. But um, yeah, I wouldn't I, I I wouldn't encourage looking up what Priapus like images of Priapus look like. Yeah, uh, <laughs> let's just go. Won't go there. Um, but but that like again like you know, in that case, it's a it, it literally is a god that they put <laughs> as a scarecrow. Like they put this image of a god, and, and it's. So they can, like, all right, how do we make sure we have a good harvest? Like, you know, let's, let's, let's put the deity there, and that's going to ensure fertility, or let's participate in this rite, and that's going to, um, you know, bring the, make the earth brutal, uh, or fruitful. Um, and it is that, that idea of, like, and, and it, it's what we are in danger of. Like, what are the things we can control? And that's where we put our attention and focus. I, I don't like to be, like, I, like, my wife will tell you, I like to fix things. <laughs> I don't for, like for things to be unfixed. <laughs> um, and that, that's okay in a mechanical sense. It's not good in, when it comes to a people sense, because you can't fix people <laughs> um, I, as much as I want to, <laughs> um, even myself. <laughs> Um, but I think I can. Like, you know, I want to be able to manipulate things to bring about the outcome that I desire rather than trusting in God and in the outcome um, that He desires. I saw a hand. Yeah.
Absolutely. And I mean, and I think it, it, it's modern, but it's also like, you know, Paul is dealing with it in Corinthians. Like, you know, the Greeks, like, you know, and we still worship <laughs> the wisdom that, of the Greeks and what they taught us in the classical period. And like, what, what, what can we learn from them? And Paul's like, yeah, our religion is foolishness to them. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's the wisdom of God. Like, and the things that they think are wise are foolish. And as you say, like, we're, like, you know, I'm in a university. <laughs> like, I imbibe and participate. Like, I, sometimes I come out of conversations and I was like, that, that was worthless. <laughs> like, there was nothing edifying about that. Like, uh, yeah, I, like, like, there, there are scholars who, like, I think are, like, completely devoid of truth, but I still, like, read them. Like, well, <laughs> why? Because I'm supposed to. <laughs> because that's what, you know, my university thinks will make me wise, or my, my academic discipline makes me, you know, will make me look good on my CV. And, like, I come out of it, like, ah, like, why? <laughs> why, like... Um, but, uh, you know, as you say, like, we, we, we're sucking in and being discipled by the nations. And, uh, and again, I love that, the, the, the ways, the warning that Jeremiah gives us here. Do not be discipled by the nations. <laughs> and, and that's, like, so it's, it's, as you say, it's more than just physical idolatry. It's all the ways we learn from the foolishness of the world rather than teaching the world the wisdom of God. Yeah, Kathy. Oh, okay. Sorry, Sandy, I walked so far forward. Uh, Yeah, we're we're lemmings. <laughs> Why am I going this direction? <laughs> well, that's the way everybody else is going. Like, yeah, it is so participa participatory and and like that 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 groupness. Um, I, I I haven't clicked on the link, but I've just seen like and um, I I read British tabloids. Sorry, that was confession. I they got I'm soccer fan, so I gotta get my soccer news. But I've seen this like. Like as I'm scrolling down to get to the soccer stories, like there, there's this image of these sheep that have have you heard about the apocalyptic sheep? They've been like walking in a circle for 12 days or something. Um, but it's that idea, like like why are the sheep? I, I haven't clicked the link, so I don't know why the sheep are walking in a circle. I just keep the images just came to my mind here of like you know and and it's that idea, like you know they're just going around and around. And, and for, for Israel, they're being led in it, to go back to what Teresa said, for the shepherds are stupid, and they do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered, and all their flock is scattered. Um, you know, and it's, it's, all of this is pointing us to our need for, for a change to happen, you know, that we need a shepherd to guide us. We need the law written on our hearts. 
we need our true husband to come and redeem us. Um, you know, so, so Jeremiah is, you know, because some of these early chapters especially are pretty bleak. <laughs> um, but he's, he's making it bleak to, to bring us to the good news, which is the good news, and, and we're getting taste of it. Here, we're getting the taste of it in the character of our God. Like, you know, that this is a God who is powerful to redeem his people and whose commitment to them, uh, you know, goes far beyond uh, their commitment to him. Um, uh, Chris read from Deuteronomy 4 earlier. I'm going to pick up um, later in that same chapter. Um, and the Lord will scatter you among the people. So after their idolatry, um, you know, um, uh, and Jerusalem gets destroyed, after all this, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. You will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart, with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with the fathers that he swore to them. And we're getting a hint of that here um, at the end of chapter 10. Um, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps, Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. So, so the idea there is you can have punishment that's intended to, to correct, to teach, or you have punishment that's intended to destroy. And so Jeremiah there is like praying this prayer, um, calling on the Lord to correct the people. Yes, they deserve punishment, but make it a... A correcting punishment. The other way to think of that, the, those verses, is like you can punish an offense based on the crime that's been committed. You know, the severity of the crime leads to the severity of the punishment. If they're corrected in that sense, what do they get? You know, it's a death penalty offense. Like, you know, um, they, they've offended, in, in Anselm's words, they've offended offended against an infinite God, therefore the punishment that they have incurred is inf infinite. <laughs> um, so you, you know, the only way that punishment can be um, taken away is by a, a sacrifice or a substitution of infinite worth, which is you know, why God became man. Um, you know, we needed a man um, but who also has the, the characteristics of, of taking that infinite punishment that we deserve and taking it upon himself. So you can have correction in terms of, um, or, or sentence passed on the nature of the crime, but you can also have sentence passed based on the nature of the person. Like, you know, and in this case, like, like we don't punish people who we think you know, are, are you know, mentally incapable. We don't punish them the same. They might cr commit equally horrid crimes, but we look at the person. Um, and in this case, God's looking at the person through relationship, that these are his people. 
Israel is the tribe of his inheritance, and the Lord of hosts is his name. Like, so what Jeremiah is doing at the end, he's calling on the people, or calling on God in this prayer to remember God's, you know, who God is and in relationship to this people, not to correct them <laughs> in, in anger and in just wrath based on what they've done, because that, you know, <laughs> that, but, but based on the love that he has set upon them. Yeah, Teresa. So, so there, he switches. So in verse 24, he's focused on, or verses 23 and 24, he, he's spoke, focused on himself and his pe people. And then in verse 25, he switches to the nations. So, well, they're, they're the ones who, I mean, he's calling on them here, um, not because they've caused the problem, but because um, they're the ones, like he's describing in verses, um, uh, like verse 22, a voice, a rumor, behold, it comes, a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah a desolation, a layer of jackals. So these nations are going to be the instrument of God's punishment upon Israel for its sin. And what Jeremiah is saying, Lord, punish them for how they're going to devour us. And notice that, that they've devoured Jacob. They've devoured him and consumed them. They have laid waste his habitation. So, so and, and we'll see him praying this more explicitly later against Babylon. Like, and, and we see the same thing in Isaiah with the Assyrians. Like, Isaiah describes the Assyrians as the instruments of God's punishment on his people. Um, and then he turns around and calls God to punish the Assyrians for what they did to God's people. And, and that's what Jeremiah is doing here. Like, they, they are doing evil to God's people. Now, it's evil that God is directing for his good purpose, um, but it's still evil, and they still have to be punished for it. And so he's, he's and notice he's saying here, Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Pour out your wrath on the nations that know you not. So he's contrasting, correct me because I know you. Destroy them because they do not know you. you, know, you know, so so he's, he's laying claim to, to the goodness of God, even in his judgment, because God is judging his people, the people he's in relationship, versus these, these nations that know him not. And therefore, there's nothing to deflect God's wrath from them. All right, um, so drawing, I ask one question. <laughs> I had other questions, we just never got there. <laughs> um, we've got two minutes. Um, uh, so rather than ask a question, we won't have time to answer. Um, other things that throughout, uh, we focus mainly on the first part of the chapter, but um, uh, you know, just to emphasize, so in verse um, 17, he switches back 
to, to the same theme we saw at the end of chapter 9, the coming judgment, the coming desolation. Um, the, the, the idea that, yes, the nation from the north is going to come, bring desolation, um, but it's God who is going to, uh, and the language here is really vivid, behold, I'm slinging out the inhabitants of the land at this time. Like, think catapult. <laughs> like, God is catapulting the people uh, into captivity um, in his righteous judgment. Um, like, and again, I think that's why, you know, I, I don't think the first half of the chapter, it was awkwardly stuck in, again, it's, it's making the case. Why are they being slung out of the land? Because they've turned to idols. Um, those very idols that God said in the book of Deuteronomy, when you do that, when you give yourself over to these creations of wood and stone, the works of your own hand, that's when I'm going to pull you out of the land. Um, and so in the first half of the chapter, Jeremiah is giving this description of, of idol worship and the affront of idol worship, again, like, taking the wisdom of God and exchanging it for stupidity. <laughs> and it's, it's you know, like, like worshiping the idols is bad, but it's also what they're rejecting in God that's worse in a sense. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're worshiping something that you've made with your hands. Meanwhile, you're neglecting the God who made all things. <laughs> um, so it's... Um, you know, you're, you're doing to your harm, harm to yourself in kind of a double sense um, because by, by devoting yourself to these things, you're not devoting yourself to the God who, who you have to know, <laughs> um, the God who has set his love upon you. Um, you're rejecting him in order to, to pursue these other things. Other thoughts as we bring this to a close, land this airplane, or at least for a couple weeks. The one question you answered? The first question I asked, that's a good question, what was that question? Um, the first question uh, that we, we asked was, um, uh, what exactly is so wrong with idol worship? So I think we answered that, y'all did a good job. Applaud yourselves. <laughs> um, but the irony is we'll applaud ourselves and then uh, be tempted uh, to idolatry. <laughs> um, and, and that's what we, and again, I, uh, I, I laugh and like, because like, this is supposed to be funny. Like, you know, it, like I, I do think God employs humor and here like the scarecrow in a cucumber field. Like we can look at that and we can laugh um, but I hope you also take that laughter as deadly serious. Um, so, you know, to, to take Jeremiah's call to, to them, learn not the way of the nations, uh, as a call to yourself. Learn not the way of the nations. Um, put your trust in the Lord. Um, and, and the Lord who, you know, directs our steps. I know, O oh Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not a man who walks to direct his steps. Um, and actually, I did have something I wanted to close with, so I'm actually going to close with it. So this is what Calvin said um, about these verses. We may hence gather a general truth 
that men greatly deceive themselves when they think that fortune or the issue of events is in their own hands. For though they may consult most wisely, yet things will turn out unsuccessfully unless God blesses their counsels. And this is what we ought carefully to notice because we see how presumptuously men promise themselves this and that, and this presumption can hardly be arrested while, man, while men arrogate to themselves what, particularly, what belongs peculiarly to God alone. There, there are many warnings given in Scripture in order to check this rashness, but most, almost all proceed in their own course and cannot be induced to allow themselves to be ruled by God. James condemns this madness when he says that men resolve what they would for a long time to do. The merchant determines for a long voyage, not only for three or four months, but for many years. Another undertakes war. Another ventures to take this or that business in hand. In short, there is no end to such instances. The Holy Spirit has by this one passage checked the boldness of those who claim for themselves more than they ought. But the greater part, as I have already said, I think, that the event is in their own power. On this account, Solomon says that the man deliberates, but it is God who governs the tongue. He had said in the former clause that it is man who sets in order his ways, but he said this ironically, as it is what most believe. For when they undertake anything, they are not so solicitous about the event, but they always promise to themselves more than what they have a right to do. So with that, let me uh, close our time together in prayer. Gracious God, we uh, do confess that uh, we, uh, on a daily basis, uh, imbibe uh, the wisdom, or the foolishness, rather, of the world, um, calling it wisdom, um, that we pursue the things of the world and set our hopes and um, plans and aspirations on the things that we can manipulate and control. But in reality, we can control nothing. You are the one who determines our steps. So it is to you that uh, in our confessing, um, we ask that you would uh, instruct us that rather than being discipled by the nations, we'd be discipled by our Lord Jesus Christ uh, through your Holy Spirit working in our hearts um, to continually being showing us the depths of our sin, continually showing us the need of our Savior, continually showing us the greatness of our God and our need for, for you, uh, continually showing us the greatness of Christ and what he has done for us through his um, perfect life of obedience and the sacrifice he made once for all uh, that we might have eternal life uh, with you, our everlasting God. Uh, give us hearts now to glory in you, to worship uh, you in this coming hour, um, full of joy of the great uh, salvation and redemption that you've brought, um, even saving us um, from the works of our own hands and our, from our own, um, our own selves and our own self-deception. Uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, we pray, uh, through Christ our Savior, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.